Well, good morning. good morning and happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I am the son of a Baptist layman who loved his Lord, loved his wife, loved his children, and my life is different because of that. Did you know that the number one predictor of juvenile delinquency is the absence of father in a home? Did you know the number one predictor of trouble in school for children as they're growing up in school is the absence of the father in the home? The number one predictor of marriage trouble is the absence of father in the home of a young man while he was growing up. Fathers, you do matter and thank you, all of you. Let's give our dads a round of applause today. Thank you so very much. Well, in 1845, folks from churches all over the South came together to form the Southern Baptist Convention, a convention that was to be composed as a voluntary association. For Baptist churches believe that nobody is in authority over a local church. Every local church determines its own affairs. They also believed that it was important to get the gospel to every man and woman, boy and girl on the earth. And so the very first motion passed at the very first Southern Baptist Convention was a motion to create a foreign mission board. The second motion passed at the very first Southern Baptist Convention was to create a board for domestic missions, a home mission board, if you will, now called the North American Mission Board, to take the gospel to everybody in our nation and the city of New Orleans. Don't you just love it? Even back then, they knew we were a whole nother country. And from the very beginning, New Orleans was identified as a focal point of Southern Baptists, and Southern Baptists knew we are coming together, working together, because the common convictions we have about the need of every man and woman, boy and girl, for salvation through Jesus Christ, because we believe in the truthfulness of God's inspired and errant word, and because we know we can do more to get the gospel to the earth by working together than we can to be independent. And so we had another meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention this past week, and at that meeting, Fred Luter, our beloved pastor of Franklin Avenue Baptist Church, nominated our pastor, Dr. David Crosby, to be president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Brother Fred gave a great speech, but our wonderful pastor, Dr. Crosby, came in third in the election, and he was not elected. To tell you the truth, that was a difficult road for him anyway. The other two people nominated, much better known across the whole Southern Baptist Convention, and there are some things going on in the convention kind of around the other two individuals, and nearly everybody there already knew who they were going to vote for before they got to the Southern Baptist Convention. But our pastor presented himself very, very well in the things that he did. Brother Fred did a great nominating speech, and the entire convention got to know our own Taylor because he sat right behind a speaker during a big discussion and he kept standing up so the camera would see him and he had more airtime than the pastor did at the Southern Baptist Convention. Way to go, Taylor. It was a significant convention. The presidential election of which our pastor was a part was actually the oddest election in the history of the Southern Baptist Convention. Three people were nominated. 
None of them got a majority. As is true in all elections, the top two vote-getters had a runoff election, and in that runoff election, the top two vote-getters, Dr. Steve Gaines, pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and Dr. J.D. Greer, uh, pastor of the Summit Church in North Carolina, had a runoff, and neither one got 50% of the vote. Figure that one out. It was very, very, very unusual. Uh, when people cast ballots at the Southern Baptist Convention, a few of them always mess up. They use the wrong ballot or they mark the wrong place or they do something to disqualify their ballot. And because of the number of ballots that were cast improperly, they did not have 50% for either candidate in a two-person race. Very, very odd. And they were about to have the third election, the second election between the same two people, when finally Dr. J.D. Gray said, I just withdraw from the race. Uh, Dr. Gaines had more votes anyway, and we need to all get behind him and elect him as the next president of Southern Baptist Convention. So it was a memorable race because our pastor was in it, memorable for us, and memorable because the election process was actually the oddest one in the history of the Southern Baptist Convention. Never happened before, will probably never happen again. But the convention was a very good convention for another reason. Southern Baptists cannot be proud of one of the driving reasons why we started. We are very proud that we came together because of a true and genuine passion for reaching the whole world for Jesus Christ. But another factor in our coming together was a defense of slavery, and that was so wrong and such a bad decision, we got started on the wrong foot on that issue. Through the years, Southern Baptists came to recognize that. Several years ago, we passed a resolution to the Southern Baptist Convention apologizing for that racist attitude that we had in our founding, acknowledging that everybody, regardless of color of skin or ethnic background, all of us were children of God standing on level ground before the cross of Jesus Christ. As we have recognized, that was a bad way to begin, apologize for that, and tried to move on. But at this convention, yet another step was taken. And that is a resolution was presented to the convention uh, resolving that we no longer, uh, that Southern Baptists no longer display the Confederate flag, battle flag, because it has become a symbol of great racial uh, divisiveness and ought not to be something that we fly as Christians in any format. And as that was debated, that, that had the potential of being a very emotional debate until a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, now a pastor in Georgia, Dr. James Merritt, went to the microphone and spoke in favor of that resolution. And he started off by saying, both of my great-grandfathers on my father's side and my mother's side were soldiers in the Civil War on the side of the Confederacy. And I have a personal family history of deep involvement in the Confederacy. But nevertheless, we need to recognize that stance on slavery was simply wrong and completely wrong. And what we need to do is rather than getting in a fight over whether or not we raise a flag, we need to lower our flags and raise the cross of Jesus Christ, his salvation for all men. And after he stood and spoke, I am very, very proud to say to you 
that not only have Southern Baptists in a formal resolution rejected racism, acknowledging we made a mistake in one of the reasons why we were formed, not only have we apologized, not only have we elected Fred Luter as the first African-American president of the Southern Baptist Convention, but now overwhelmingly the convention voted to say, let's no longer use that flag, let's lift up the cross of Jesus Christ and emphasize he is the Savior and Lord of all people, regardless of their race, color of skin, or ethnic background. It was a very good convention in so many ways, and thank you for allowing us to be messengers from the church on your behalf, and thank you for sending that movie star, Taylor, uh, to be there on the screen to entertain all of us. If you have your Bibles, open them, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, open your copy of the Word of God or your tablet or your iPhone, if that's how you keep your Bible. Jesus gave many teachings. The largest single block of his teaching, the longest sermon that we have from Jesus in the New Testament, is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, and that's going to be our subject today. Now relax. I have good news. I'm not going to do the whole Sermon on the Mount, okay? So everybody just relax. We're just going to look at a part of it, Matthew chapter 5. Now, what I find very interesting is not simply what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. What I find very interesting is what is not in the Sermon on the Mount. What is not the subject of the Sermon on the Mount is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not take his longest sermon and use it to explain why we need salvation, how God acted to accomplish our salvation, and how we can receive salvation through repentance and faith in Christ. That's not the subject of the Sermon on the Mount. Nor is the subject of the Sermon on the Mount how and why we need to reach the world with the gospel for Jesus Christ. The Great Commission is not the subject of the Sermon on the Mount. The subject of the Sermon on the Mount is very simple, how to live. And the longest sermon we have in the New Testament from Jesus, taking up Matthews 5, 6, and 7, is about how to live, how to live with God, and how to live with one another. That was the focal point of what Jesus taught us in his most important sermon. Why? We find the answer to why in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Follow along as we look at the Bible together. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its flavor, how can it ever be made salty again? You are the light of the world. For a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do you light a candle in order to put it under a basket. You light a candle to put it on a lampstand so it brings light to everyone who is in the room. Thus Jesus said, So light your candle, so be the light that all who see your good works will glorify your Father who is in heaven. God has a problem and God has a solution. The problem, how in the world can God introduce himself to everyone? How in the world can God get the good news 
of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, the opportunity to become a part of the family of God, how can he get that to everyone on the face of the earth? That's God's problem. God's solution. You. Me. God's solution is that he will introduce himself through the way we live our lives. His expectation, his commandment, his desire is for all of us to live such distinctive lives that we will be noticed and people will give glory to God for how we live. The way you live, your behavior, is God's plan A. God's only plan for how to introduce himself to the world. He uses three illustrations, three analogies. The first of those is salt. Salt has long been a very precious commodity for the human race. From the time of its discovery through most of our history, Has anybody here ever received a salary for work that was done? That word salary comes from the word for salt. Have you ever heard that expression, a man is worth his salt? A man is salty? Salt is so valuable because it makes such a great impact on food and the flavoring of food. We always notice that in New Orleans, don't we? It makes such a great impact on food. Everybody wanted food seasoned with salt. It could even be used to preserve meat and fish longer than it would otherwise last. Salt was very, very valuable because of its distinctive effect. Light, you are the light of the world. I went to Carlsbad Caverns as a part of our very first family vacation. Mom and dad and the five Kelly kids loaded up in the family station wagon and drove from the Gulf Coast of Texas in Beaumont all the way to Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming and all the way back. Among the many stops we made was Carl's Bad Caverns. I'll never forget those thousands upon thousands of bats pouring out of those caverns at sunset, a really amazing sight. But my most memorable experience at Carl's Bad was something that happened inside the caverns. I understand they don't even do this anymore, but boy, I'm so glad I had this experience. We were doing a tour of that vast cavern system and they took us into a side cave and there were stone benches in that cave. They had all of us sit down, and then the guide began to tell us some of the background of Carlsbad, how it was discovered, different things about the caverns. And then he said, now, in just a moment, I'm going to do something that's going to be a little scary, but I'm telling you in advance because it's okay. I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to turn out the light. And you're going to experience total darkness as you never have before. And you're going to be very apprehensive. It's going to be a little scary. But don't worry. After I turn out the light, I will count to three and turn the lights back on. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. The light went out. I had never experienced darkness So dark you could not see your hand in front of your face. 
You could not see anybody else in the room. It was like living inside an inkwell. It was complete and total darkness, the complete absence of light. One, two, three. He did not turn the light back on. Instead, he flicked a cigarette lighter and a little flame came on. And that small flame changed everything. It was not as bright as all the electric lights, but that small flame eliminated the darkness. You could see the people around you. You could easily see your hand in front of your face. Even that little light completely dispelled the darkness in that cave. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. When you are living a Jesus kind of life, it removes total darkness from this world, no matter how dark it may be. A city set on a hill The first time I went to Israel was the mid-70s, and we were doing a boat ride across the Sea of Galilee, and I happened to be sitting on the row of seats right next to the guide. And as we were puttering our way across the Sea of Galilee, person after person came up to the guide and said, excuse me, what is the name of that village or town on the top of that hill? Is that Nazareth, that Bethlehem? Just, I'll talk about it in a minute. Person after person, what, what is the name of that little, just please sit down. Sir, what, what is the name of that little, just sit down, I'll tell you in a moment. We got to the middle of the Sea of Galilee, the boat stopped, and he began pointing out the things we could see around the shores of the Sea of Galilee from the middle of that great lake. And finally, he said, a number of you came up to me as we were coming to this point and asked the name of that little village. That little village has been there since the time of Christ. I want to remind you what Jesus said. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And a city that is set on a hill is there for all to see. You can't do anything to disguise it. It is there. It is open. And we here in New Orleans on our completely flat ground below sea level We know if you go to the zoo and see the artificial hill we built so our children could know what a hill looks like, Monkey Hill, we know when it's on a hill, you're going to see it. Salt, light, a city built on a hill. What do they all have in common? Intentionality is one thing. You add salt where salt isn't found. You add salt to food that doesn't have that flavor. It is an intentional act to add salt. It is an intentional act to light a candle, to turn on a light. It's an intentional thing to build a city on a hill. It doesn't simply appear. They all speak of the intentionality behind the salt, the light, the city on a hill. The other thing they all share in common, unmistakable. 
If you forget the salt in the recipe, your very first bite will tell you, won't it? If you don't have light, you know it immediately. If there's nothing on that hill, nothing is exactly what you see. They are intentional and they are unmistakable. And Jesus said to you and he said to me, you are God's salt in the earth. You are God's city on a hill. You are God's light in the darkness. God intends for you to live a Jesus kind of life, a life like Jesus lived. Because when you are living like Jesus, you will be noticed and you will have opportunity to speak of him. People cannot help but see you are distinctive, you are different. That is why the whole Sermon on the Mount is about how to live, how to live with God, how to live with each other. Because when we are living the way Jesus wants us to live, it won't happen accidentally. You'll have to choose to live that way. When you are living the way Jesus wants us to live, the world cannot help but know something different is in you. Why are you living that way? Why are you doing this? What is going on? And you will be able to speak of Jesus. Now, I learned this as a teenager. As a teenager, I'd made a serious commitment of my life to Christ. I chose Jesus, and I was consciously seeking to live for Jesus. But I was also playing football. Matter of fact, what most people knew about Chuck Kelly, I played football and I was David Wells' friend. David was the kid everybody in school knew. I was his best friend and I played football. And so it was with great excitement when the coaches announced they were changing the schedule for two-a-day workouts. For those of you who don't know much about football, in the dead of summer, Every level of football, pro, college, high school, every level of football have two-a-day workouts to get ready for the season. One is in the morning and one is in the afternoon. We had our morning workout at 8 o'clock. We had our afternoon workout at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, you talk about having fun, putting on full football gear and practicing for an hour and a half or so at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on the Gulf Coast of Texas with a 100-degree temperature and 100% humidity. Oh, that was just so much fun. <laughs> and our coaches one day announced, we're going to change the schedule for two-a-day workouts. We'll have that morning practice at 8 o'clock in the morning. The afternoon practice, we're going to push back from 2 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the evening. Oh, joyous rejoicing. Everybody was so excited. I go home, we're having family dinner, and I said, boy, we got the best news at school today. Coach told us that for two-a-day workouts, they're changing the schedule, and we'll have that morning workout at 8, but they're moving the afternoon workout from 2 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the evening. It'll be at least a little more comfortable. Everybody's so excited. And my mom and dad said, well, that's wonderful. That will be more comfortable. Of course, you'll have to miss the Wednesday practice, but all the rest of them, you can be there. Excuse me? What, what do you mean I have to miss the Wednesday workout? 
What's on prayer meetings at 6 o'clock on Wednesday night? And you're a Christian, and your name is Kelly. People who follow Jesus and are named Kelly, they go to prayer meeting on Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. But if I mispractice, I might lose my starting position. And my dad, Baptist layman, loved the Lord, loved his wife, loved his kids. My dad said, son, I can't tell you how proud all of us are of you and the great job you're doing playing football. It's so much fun to watch you play and you're doing so very well. And during the season, everywhere I go as I'm out and about uh, in Beaumont, people always talk about watching you play football and how well you're doing. And I am so proud of you. And I really hope you don't lose your starting position, but I understand that could be a possibility. But son, I want you to know that's okay because you're going to follow Jesus a lot longer than you're going to play football. And he said, so tomorrow, don't wait. Tomorrow, you need to go to your coach and you need to say to him, coach, thank you so much for moving the time of our afternoon practice to six o'clock. We're really excited about that. And I'll be there for every one of those practices except Wednesday night. Wednesday at six o'clock, our family goes to prayer meeting and I won't be able to be there on the Wednesday evening practice. I want you to notice what my dad did not say. My dad did not say he would call the coach and talk to him about it. My dad did not say, I'll go with you, son, and we'll talk with your coach. My dad said, you go see your coach tomorrow and you tell him you will not be able to be at the six o'clock on Wednesday practice because you're going to prayer meeting. That next day, I went to the coach's office, knocked on the door. I'd never been in the coach's office before. That's where people went to die. <laughs> what do you want, Kelly? Uh, coach. I'm really excited, everybody is, and I'm one of them, really excited about the change of schedule for two-a-day workouts in August and pushing that afternoon practice back to six o'clock. Really excited about that. And, and I'll be at every one of them except on Wednesdays. On Wednesday at six o'clock, uh, I go to prayer meeting and I, I won't be able to be there at six o'clock on Wednesday. What did you say? Uh, I, I, I'm really excited about having six o'clock practice time and I'll be there for all of them except on Wednesday nights at six o'clock I'll have to miss because I'm going to prayer meeting. You're going to skip football practice to go to prayer meeting. Yes sir. My name is Kelly and that's what we do. <laughs> that was when I learned that 30 seconds of silence actually last four and a half hours. <laughs> well, 
I guess we could all use a little prayer. How about this? How about if we make the Wednesday practice at 4 o'clock and we have you finished by 5.30? Would that give you time to shower and get to prayer meeting? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That would be wonderful. I will never forget that moment. That was the first time in my life when intentionally I stood apart from everyone else because I was following Jesus. Dads, here's my question for you on Father's Day. I know that you are working very hard to teach your children how to behave at the table and and how to be respectful of their mom. I know you are working very hard to teach your children to study in school and do their best in school. I know, dads, that you want your sons and your daughters to learn how to work and develop a good work ethic so they can build a life. I know that you want to teach them how to take care of money appropriately so that they never get in the habit of spending more money than they have. I know how hard you're working at that. I know you want to teach them how to buy a car, how to keep it up. But my question, dads, is this. Are you intentionally connecting the dots between what your children believe about Jesus and how they live. Because that day, around the Kelly family dinner table, my dad connected those dots. I was a Christian. And what that meant is a responsibility to live like one. Are you connecting those dots for your kids? Now, you you can't connect those dots for your children unless they're connected in your life. So as a father, has there been a time in your life when you opened your heart to the love and forgiveness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and you became a child of God and you were adopted into God's forever family? You've been born again. Has that happened in your life? Because you can't prepare your children for eternity. You can't lead your children to have an eternity in heaven and not hell unless you first have given your life to Christ. Has that happened to you? If not, you need to give your life to Christ today. You need to do it right now. You need to give your life to Christ and know that you're going to spend eternity in heaven so you can lead your children into that kind of relationship with God. But having done that, are you seeking to live your life as a Christian? The first disciples of Jesus came to be called Christians. That was not a term of endearment. That was a term of ridicule and laughter. They were, that's a word that means little Christ. And they were teasing those early followers of Christ that they were like little Christ because they were so trying to live like Jesus lived. 
and that was noticed. Are you intentionally seeking to live like Jesus? Salt, light, a city on a hill, intentional, unmistakable, living as Jesus wants you to live. For how will your children know? That's what it means to be a Christian. If you, their loving Father, will not tell them. Listen, can you hear that? Can, can anybody else hear that echo from heaven? Please pass the salt. Can you hear that? As God is speaking to us today, please pass the salt. The influence of our church in this community rests on the way we, its members, live our lives. Please pass the salt. So as we come to this Father's Day, my questions for you are simple and we close. Question number one, has there ever been a time in your life when you opened your heart to the love and forgiveness of God through faith in Jesus? If not, why not today? Why not today? Be born again. Question number two, having given your life to Christ, are you living as Jesus wants you to live, knowing his longest sermon was devoted to that simple topic, how to live? Question number three, if you belong to Jesus, you're seeking to live for him and you live here in New Orleans, are you a member of a church here, part of the family of God? Or Christians are like bananas, we grow best in bunches, and God wants all of us to be a part of a family of faith. Why not you in this family of faith? Would you join me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for making things so simple and clear. But Father, I will tell you, it is uh, very intimidating for you to be so simple and clear that we cannot claim to misunderstand. Give us the courage to say yes to Jesus. Give us the courage to say yes to living a Jesus kind of life. Give us the courage to be your answer to the problem of how to introduce the good news of salvation to everyone in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.